Cancel culture is a scourge on our society. People getting angry at perceived slights, forming a tiny group of a small handful of people, and then trying to destroy someone's career. Unfortunately, it often works against smaller individuals, less well-known people. In the instance of Louis C.K., it actually cost him a lot of money. As he says, it $35 million in a single day when people found out that he was doing something inappropriate. Now, here's the thing. Louis C.K.'s story is a bit different. His story is more of a Me Too moment. But the news we have now, Louis C.K. is back. He's making no apologies. And he's as offensive as ever, if not more offensive. But in the actual, so so I want to highlight this, Louis C.K. coming back, talking about these issues. But I also want to highlight this. Shane Gillis, the guy who was actually canceled because they found bad jokes he made a while ago. They said he was racist. He was bigoted. He's back. And he did a stand-up as well. And he basically, he's refusing to apologize. I think this phenomenon is really interesting. And you can look at the woke outrage over Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle not understanding society changing. But the reality is, there's a few, well, I should say this, there's a few points I want to nail in this video. First, Louis C.K. is back. Let's talk about that. That's great. I think the guy's funny. We'll, we'll talk about his history. More importantly, though, comedy is extremely, extremely powerful. And comedians are having none of it. Now, Bill Maher, right? He's a political comedian. He's pushed back relentlessly. But now we're seeing Shane Gillis recently canceled, fired from SNL, standing up and saying, no way. Louis C.K. was recently canceled. He's back, though. His story is more of a Me Too thing. And we can see the political ramifications of the Dave Chappelle special when Ben Carson uses Dave Chappelle's joke to make a point about a trans issue. Politics is downstream from culture, which means if comedians can make fun of it, we can kind of we can kind of break these things down and kind of weaken these crazy people. There's something interesting I want to highlight too. In this story from The Week, What Cancel Culture and Its Critics Get Wrong by Damon Linker. Now, he's actually wrong in this, in his core thesis, and we'll, and we'll talk about it. But today, let's talk about cancel culture, its failure, and how I think comedians may actually be, well, they are pushing back on cancel culture, and this may be huge, because we may get into a, we may be getting to a point now where people are willing to stand up and say, enough, especially the story with Louis C.K. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. It's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But the best thing you can do, because we're going to be talking about offensive themes, is share this video. YouTube deranks independent political commentary. They prop up CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. So if you think I do a good job, you can help me overcome those obstacles by sharing this video wherever you want to share it. Let's read from Chicago Tribune. Anyone expecting an apology or remorse from comedian Louis C.K. regarding his widely reported misconduct, first reported in the New York Times in November 2017, will have to keep looking. He avoided apologizing in the statement he issued in the wake of the original story two years ago, and in his late set Thursday night at Zany's in Rosemont, that's basically Chicago area, the second of six shows over three days that were quietly announced and quickly sold out earlier this week, he seemed to be working to reframe himself as the victim. Listen, stop paying attention to the woke outrage. The worst that could happen, the worst that could happen is people yell at you for a little while. Now, now, I I get it. Louis C.K. says he lost $35 million in a day, but he's still here. He's still alive. He's selling out shows. He is coming back and he is refusing to apologize. Woke outrage is fake. It's about time people stood up to it. They say, At times during his show, 
he almost reveled in the shame, claiming everyone in the audience has a thing that they do that would be embarrassing if anyone found out. And how privileged we are that, unlike for him, no one knows what it is. His own culpability in the reports of him pleasuring himself in front of women went unmentioned. Instead, he put the focus squarely on how he has been affected by the fallout. He used to play arenas, he noted at one point with a cynical laugh, reminding the audience how lucky they were to see him in such an intimate space. But he doesn't want anyone quoting him on that. On top of the use of a yonder case to keep everyone's phones locked up throughout the course of the show, which is something a number of comics have been doing, basically the point he's making is he, he wouldn't allow anyone to take any notes. He says he wanted to test it, but let's skip ahead and get to the point. First, he says Louis C.K. talked about how he expect cripples to be happy with their situation, but notes that if he lost his legs, he'd never be happy. There's Louis C.K. engaging in ableism. He doesn't care. He's not apologizing. We can then see, this is what, this is what, this threw, this threw me for a loop right here. Check it out. Later, he spent a good amount of time breaking down the R word. Okay. I don't know what the R word is. Or I should say, when I first read this, I was like, what's the R word? Can you, just off, off the top of your head, do you know what the R word is? I don't. Oh, <laughs> that's what it is. See, I can't say it. We're on YouTube. It is a word that is offensive to the mentally disabled. That R word. Think about where we are. And why someone like Louis C.K. is doing well when he's not apologizing? Who wants to live in a world where we refer to everything by the first letter, the R word, the F word, the N word, the C word? Is that a joke? We know what the words are and we know you're referencing them. But sure enough, yup, there have been professors who have been suspended or investigated for academically referencing the word. There have been, there was a Netflix executive who was telling people the N word was offensive he got fired. I think it's an old story. But here we can see, finally, people are starting to push back. Now, Louis C.K., he took a hard fall. Again, it was a Me Too thing. But he's back. He won't apologize. And, you, and, and let's, take a, let's take a look at a quote from the Chicago Tribune. Quote, this is from someone who was there. We live in this world where everyone want, wants their feelings heard. The, next, uh, the guy next to me told, told me adamantly before the show when I asked if he thought C.K. would address his misconduct. Quote, I hope he doesn't apologize. That guy and other audience members like him are certainly getting what they're looking for out of Louis C.K.'s current tour. I wonder if Louis is. Regular people are sick and tired of cancel culture. Regular people want to laugh. Regular people know that sometimes jokes are mean. But you know what? We're all adults. Get over it, grow up, or leave. Now it gets better. Shane Gillis recently got canceled. He also has refused to apologize making extremely offensive jokes. Good for him. Good. You know, I'm, I'm normally somebody who's critical of overly offensive comedy. But my, my reaction is usually like, you missed the mark on that one. You probably shouldn't do it again, right? And I would prefer comedy to try and air, to be, to be better, right? That's what they say. Here's the thing. I've always been very much in favor of real social justice, true equality, all that. These, something that's basic that most people would, would agree in, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the people who claim to be fighting for social justice in today's day and age are authoritarians who want to beat you down and destroy your life. Well, Shane Gillis, on probably the happiest day of his life, was supposed to be hired. He was hired by Saturday Night Live. Somebody went through his history and found off-color jokes he had made in poor taste, and he lost his job. He made comments about Asians, and he used a homophobic slur. It was in the context of comedy meant to be shocking and offensive. Andrew Yang came out and said something about it. He said, the guy shouldn't be fired. We can talk. 
Well, Andrew Yang addressed this recently, saying cancel culture has become a source of fear for Americans. Well, that's right, man. Recently, I did an event in Philly. I've referenced it several times. And the people who were under fire from the outrage mob were scared, absolutely scared. But let me remind you, take a look at Shane Gillis. He's still here doing his thing. He's not, look, you can overcome the mob. Hollow threats. What's the worst that can happen? Now, I admit, in the instance of Louis C.K. and Shane Gillis, some bad stuff happened. But they're still here. They're still alive. They're still doing shows. Life moves on. The outrage mob wants to destroy everything you have. And you don't even know if what you did is offensive. And you don't even know if maybe something 10 years ago would get brought up. The important thing about this, the first thing, as I mentioned, it's hollow. Ignore it. The other thing is how powerful this is in politics. I mean, even Andrew Yang here is talking about cancel culture is scaring people. I assure you, this is helping Donald Trump. Don't take my word for it. In this piece from The Week, what cancel culture and its, crit- and its critics get wrong, Damon Linker notes that this is probably causing a backfire. Let me see if I can pull this up. Will it work? We have reason to doubt it and even, uh, and even to suspect the moral browbeating is contributing to the very political backlash the activists are reacting against. To see this, it's instructive to turn to the political realm. Unlike authors or entertainers who are dependent on niche audiences and the support of powerful business interests that can be swayed by the fear of bad publicity, politicians respond to public opinion more broadly and directly. He then goes on to say, for one thing, Donald Trump is in the White House. Yes, moral browbeating has caused a massive backfire. Louis C.K. is still working. He is selling out shows, smaller shows. Shane Gillis was fired. He's still working. In fact, he's probably capitalizing on this. And of course, the left is outraged, saying Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr just don't understand it. No, Dave Chappelle was widely supported. Here's the funny thing about the Dave Chappelle Rotten Tomatoes thing. If you aren't familiar, basically, Dave Chappelle did the special. is very offensive. Critics are outraged. Harumph, I say. 37,000 votes. 99%. They say, but Tim, don't you know what a review bomb is? You mean to tell me that a forum where someone said, hey, we should give Dave Chappelle a good rating was full of people who didn't like Dave Chappelle's stand-up and are pretending to like it? How does that make sense? You know what makes more sense? People liked it so much, they rallied their friends to go and give it a good rating. End of story. It's not bots. It's not fake. It's people actually saying, yes, yes, yes. More of this, please. The interesting thing about the article from The Week, is that he says the critics of cancel culture don't realize we're all in in, in favor of cancel culture, pointing out that if someone came out overtly racist and said something violent, we would all support the canceling of that individual. Nobody is ignoring that. That's exactly the position. See, this individual, uh, Damon Linker, it's a great point he makes about the backlash. I agree. But he truly doesn't understand where people like me are coming from. Of course we want to cancel people who violate social norms and say outrageous things. Look at Steve King, Republican, said something outrageous on Twitter. Nobody had a problem saying enough. However, the problem is the left targets individuals for things that are perceived slights and not even that bad and destroys their lives. And when the left does something like Justin Trudeau appearing several times in blackface, they do nothing. What he gets right in this article is that it's a partisan issue. When the left targets someone for partisan politics, the right and the moderates react and say, stop. But when it's something every side agrees with, they all say, okay, that person can go away. 
Of course, society changes. There are jokes from 100 years ago we don't say today because they're offensive. We get that. The problem is Justin Trudeau and Northam in Virginia can be caught. Not even that. So so Northam was a long time ago. I I hate bringing up old things, right? Because I'm not trying to play this game. The point is, though, they will target someone for a video they made years ago. Kevin Hart for jokes made 10 years ago. They will target these people. Then when Justin Trudeau is outed for several times doing this, they say he, he acknowledged his mistake. Good for him. Good for him. No punishment. It's not genuine. It is a bad faith attack. That's the problem with cancel culture. And they like to claim Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle don't understand society in 2019 and they don't want to try. Aw, that's not true. Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle greatly understand. Now I'm going to say something controversial here. Dave Chappelle was way funnier than Bill Burr. I give Bill Burr a C plus. That's the most controversial thing I'll say about the comedians. No, I'm sure Bill Burr would recognize too that Dave Chappelle hit this one out of the park. I think Bill Burr actually worked on the, on the Chappelle show. Dave Chappelle did a really, really good job and he made extremely offensive comedy. You see what's happening in my opinion is the more they try to beat us over the heads with, with morality policing, the more people want to be defiant and say, you can't tell me what to do. Here's what I think. I think back to the creation of the United States. How, you know, think about the people who choose to came to America. You live in this, in this uh, uh, wealthy-ish city, right? In, in, the, in, the, in the heart of the British Empire. But some people said, I'm going to go off on a three-month journey. I'll probably die. And then I'm going to live in the woods somewhere. To me, that's, that's, that's crazy. Why would someone do that? Well, they had something about them. They didn't want to be told what to do. And they said, I'd rather go 3,000 miles across the sea to a land I've never seen before because I don't want to be told what to do by you. That mentality is what gave birth to the United States. Not just that mentality, but it was a big player in it. Then think about what happens with the Revolutionary War. Once again, these people in America, our our founding fathers and our ancestors said, enough, I'm not going to be told what to do. We culturally and genetically are the product of people who refuse to be told what to do. And we enshrined it in our constitution, limiting the powers of the government. Now, there's still people trying to, to strengthen the government and take away a lot of our individual rights. This country was founded on a culture and a people who believed that the individual was paramount and the government shouldn't be allowed to tell you what to do, nor should, for the most part, the mob. That's why we have these rights to protect us, not just from government, to grant us the protection of our peers, but to also protect us from our peers. That's why we're a constitutional republic with democratic processes instead of a direct democracy. What do you think then happens 200 plus years later? I, I, I hate to say it, but I do, do, I do fear a lot of that energy is being stripped away and beaten down. There are a lot of people who happily accept conformity and bending the knee to the authority. But perhaps what we're seeing with Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr is a refusal to back down. It's that energy that America has always had that I don't care. You can't tell me what to do. And I would rather burn it down than bend the knee. I mean, that, that, that kind of exemplifies my attitude. I believe what I believe. I will stand up for what I believe in, and I will never surrender. And I think that's a lot. A lot of Americans feel that way too, that we would never give in to your authoritarianism. You want to you put us up against, I've actually been threatened by the far left repeatedly, sending me messages saying things like you're first against the wall. You think I care? 
I'm going to laugh at Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., Shane Gillis, and Bill Burr, no matter how offensive they are. I'm going to watch Bill Maher criticize him for his elitism and laugh when he mocks the authoritarian lunatics because they don't know what is best for us and they don't have the right to determine what we can or can't laugh at. Sorry, you don't understand society in 2019. So let me, let me highlight a few other stories. South Park co-creator reveal, reveals why critics bashed Dave Chappelle's comedy special that people loved. He says, I think of someone in prison writing. I'm not, I'm not going to read through the whole thing because I, I can sum it up for you. And I kind of already ranted for a long time. But in this story from The Blaze, they're referencing an interview. I think it's actually from The Hollywood Reporter, where he basically said, who was it? Let's, uh, let's, let's read a little bit. They say it's uh, Matt Stone, I believe. I always mix their names up. Matt Stone. So why the great disconnect? According to South Park co-creator Matt Stone, critics bashed the special over industry pressure to condemn politically incorrect content. They may have laughed like hell at that, and then they went home and they know what they have to, that what they have to write to keep their job. So when I read TV reviews or cultural reviews, I think of someone in prison writing. I think about somebody writing a hostage note. This is not what they think. This is what they have to do to keep their job in a social media world, he explained. So I don't hold it against them. Well, then we see this. What happened to Dave Chappelle? The cruelty of sticks and stones is a sign of the times. Dave Chappelle is completely attuned to the mean spirit of 2019. That's what's throwing off his old fans. No, it isn't. I grew up. I, 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 was, a, I was a teenager. I think I, was, I, I can't remember when the Chappelle show was, but I th- I'm pretty sure I was a teenager. And we laughed relentlessly at the, at the Chappelle show. I am a fan of Dave Chappelle and I am to the, I was then and I am now. I was a punk rock skateboarder laughing at his jokes. And I still am today. You know why? as much as they don't want to accept it. You know, Paul Joseph Watson said something like conservatism is a new counterculture. I don't know if he came up with that. He's not wrong, but I want to give a technicality to that. It's not conservatism. It is the counterculture of today does embrace some aspects of what uh, conservatives also embrace. Counterculture is just counterculture. And a lot of conservatives have embraced counterculture, pushing back on the outrage saying, I don't care about your, your, your requirements and your outrage and your mobs. It's not going to sway me. Dave Chappelle, not a conservative. Counterculture, yes. We are a country of punk rockers, rebels. It's what we've always been, a country founded by rebels with motorcycle gangs, punk rock music, mohawks, and telling people, you can't tell me what to do. So let's go back in time to the moral browbeating of the 90s and the 2000s with the religious right that no longer holds a lot of like, they just don't have that power anymore, the religious right. And there's a new right. It's called the new right with a lot of disaffected liberals now rallying alongside many of these people saying, yeah, Dave Chappelle's funny. Don't tell me not to swear. Don't tell me what I can or can't say. Where a weird, where a weird uh, transitional period. I was watching Family Guy the other day, and there's a musical number where Peter Griffin rants about the FCC saying they want to make you, you can't say certain words. And that's exactly what YouTube is doing today. I thought about how funny it was that Seth MacFarlane, diehard Democrat, has this song ragging on censorship and how they force him to say things he doesn't want to say or don't let him say things he does. And I'm like, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like cancel culture. It sounds like woke outrage. The FCC, the great censor of Family Guy, they couldn't say things on TV. They got in trouble because they did a show about uh, about Peter trying to find a Jewish accountant. That's my understanding. So in the end, I guess the main point I want to say is we're a country of rebels. Screw off. 
We've always been, and, and hopefully to an, ex- to an extent, we always will be, respecting individual liberties and freedoms while also recognizing times do change. That was the liberal position back in the day, at least when I was growing up. It's the position I hold. I can laugh at an offensive joke. Everybody in my neighborhood told offensive jokes. The Latinos told offensive jokes, the black people, the Asians, the white people, and we all hung out together. As I, as I stated before, we had one friend who would refer to everybody, including himself, by racial slurs, and we, thought it was, we all thought it was funny. It took away the power of using the slur when we all viewed each other as, as equals. Comedy is great, and comedy is pushing back on the BS. But I'm going to make one final point. I'm not condemning or condoning what Ben Carson is saying. But he went to Tucker Carlson, and he cited Dave Chappelle when making a point about trans women coming into women's shelters. You don't have to, you, I'm not here to agree or disagree. And I, and I know I'm going to get the left saying, how dare you not agree with us? It's, it's strange. I mean, the right usually says, I'll accept that. It's fine. It's better you're not. On the, but the point is, this is the power of comedy. It reaches politics. Politics is downstream from culture. So when the culture changes, when Dave Chappelle comes up and says, we're not playing your game, dude, I'm going to say what I want to say. Well, then Ben Carson says the same thing. That's the power of politics. So let this be a final lesson to the woke outrage. When you try to, like when you, when you try to attack people, when you try to shut them down, when you are pushing back with extremist policies, don't be surprised when regular people push back and emboldens those you don't like. Because even the weak, a left-wing outlet plainly states it is backfiring, plain and simple. It is, the, it is contributing to the, to the very political backlash the activists are reacting against. It's like a Chinese finger trap. The harder you pull, the worse it gets. Louis C.K. is back. Cancel culture, be gone. We'll see what happens. But I'm confident. So long as people like Louis C.K., who, again, I know it's a Me Too thing, not so much canceled. If he's willing to come back, refuse to apologize. And so is someone like Shane Gillis. Cue the, cue the Tim's highlighting white males. I'm pretty sure Louis C.K. is Mexican. But I, anyway, I digress. If they're willing to stand up, if Chappelle, Rogan, if, if Bill Burr, if, if they're all stand, willing to stand, uh, stand up and push back, I think it's really, really good news because it means regular people will feel comfortable laughing at the insanity and the authoritarianism and saying, we don't care. But the last thing I'll, I'll say as I wrap this up, if you're someone who was targeted by woke outrage, who cares? Don't overreact. Don't apologize. Ignore them. They have caused so much problems. Like They have caused such a great problem to actual progress that if we actually want to bring about change, we actually want to make changes, they've completely ruined any opportunity to do so. Like I mentioned, there are jokes from 100 years ago that they're offensive. We don't do anymore. Well, at this point, everyone's so fed up with their outrage and cancel culture. No one cares anymore. No one's going to listen. It's going to make it harder. But at least for now, we can tell these people to be gone. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all there. It is a different channel. So we know that San Francisco has a human waste problem. They actually, there was, there was a story I covered a while ago about the poop patrol. It's city workers whose job is to go around cleaning up poop off the streets. Don't ask me why, but for some reason, there tends to be very left-leaning cities that have poop problems, okay? And, and cities is plural now because this story from Pluralist, Portland police say they're not allowed to stop people from pooping in the street. You know what? I was going to ask. I, w- I was going to do a video saying, like, I wonder why it is that there's so much poop all over these cities. 
Ah, we have our answer. The police aren't allowed to stop people who are pooping in the streets. What? First of all, pluralist, what is that? What is this photo? Who is this guy? And are you implying he's the one who pooped? Okay, I, I, I question this photo because it looks like a stock photo, but I digress. Let's read the story. Actually, before we get started, head over to TimCast.com donate if you would like to support my work. There are multiple ways you can give. The best thing you can do is share this video. And maybe, maybe you shouldn't actually, because I think, uh, <laughs> algorithm aside, your friends and family may be, may be asking, why are you sharing with me a video about people pooping in the streets? And you might, you might then have to explain to them. Now, if you, if you think it's an important issue, please consider sharing it. Let's read. From Pluralist. Let's see if I can make this a little bigger. Yeah, I can. They say, Portland has a serious poop problem. The Oregon City recently acknowledged that it removed 3,300 gallons of human waste from the streets in the past year alone. My, my. Portland. However, the police say they're powerless to stop homeless people from relieving themselves in public, even if it happens right in front of them. Sergeant Kevin Allen, a public information officer with the Portland Police Bureau, told Pluralist, it's a topic officers that work downtown hear about somewhat regularly. The the complication, he said in an email exchange, is that an Oregon court last year barred authorities from using a state law in cases of public urination and defecation. I'm not aware of a legislative fix. So at this point, we are unable to address the behavior from a law enforcement standpoint. Hold on. You mean to tell me that a court in Oregon is saying you can't stop people from pooping in the street? That's what? (laughs) If somebody's pulling their pants down, you take them away. Like, I'm not saying you like arrest them and lock them up for the rest of their lives. But if you don't enforce people pooping in the street, what are you enforcing? There's disease risk. There's the fact that it's human waste in the streets. Wow. Is this what it's coming to? You know what, man? Stories like this are, uh, I know it's cliche to say, but Trump 2020, it's from, from this. Listen, man, you've got people who live in Portland who are probably very left-leaning wondering why, why police aren't allowed to stop people pooping in the streets. Who wants to live in that? I would leave. But I guess a lot of people don't mind walking around dodging poop on the ground. It's San Francisco, too. What is going on with these cities, man? With the police paralyzed, Portland has resorted to expensive cleanup efforts after the fact. Could you imagine if, like, someone came into your house and, like, was about to take a dump on your floor and, like, your, your wife or your parents or whoever were like, no, 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 don't stop him. Let him do it. And you're like, but he's taking a dump on the ground. Hey, just let him do it. And then once the guy finished and walked away, he went, now clean it up. I'd be like, What? <laughs> You're going to make me clean it up. The, 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 the taxpayer has to pay for this. Okay, they're already paying for police. Then, the, then the, the courts tell the cops not to do anything about it. And then they have to tax you more to go clean it up. Why would anyone in their right mind live in this place? I moved to the suburbs. I'm in, I'm in the middle of nowhere, okay? I'm increasingly trying to get away from this kind of insanity. They say, according to a recent analysis by the city, as many as 450 reports of human waste are are, are filed with Portland's homeless complaint system every week. What? Every week? Each time a crew responds, it costs taxpayers $316. Something is seriously wrong with Portland. I I, got to say this, man. You know what? We need a federal intervention on this. Okay? I'm, I'm being somewhat, I'm like half joking about it. But if Portland isn't allowing people to do this and they're charging, look at 450 times 316. 
and you pay for that Portland residence, why would anyone in their right mind live in this place? Fearing urban blight or an outbreak of infectious disease, Democratic Mayor Ted Wheeler and the Portland City Council agreed to spend some $900,000 on portable toilets and bathrooms for the homeless in the coming fiscal year, the Oregonian reported in June. The larger issue, of course, is homelessness itself. As Portland has grown into a hipster mecca, the homeless population has become increasingly desperate and increasingly visible. You know what? I'll say this. I can't, t- I can't tell you why homeless people are attracted to cities like this. New York has homeless people. Chicago does. Los Angeles has you know, some of the worst homeless uh, problem, but not the mo- worst of the crisis, garbage, filth everywhere, but not the most homeless people. So I can't, I can't tell you why homeless people flock to these places, but I'd be willing to bet. Let's, let, let's, I have a great citation for you. South Park. South Park did an episode where the homeless people started coming to South Park because Kyle gave a homeless guy 20 bucks. Well, sort of. That attracted all the homeless people to his house. It then turns out that there was a neighboring town in order to deal with its homeless problem, created brochures telling all the homeless people to go to South Park. The gist of the story was in order to get the homeless people out of South Park, they drove around in a bus singing a song about how California will give you all these benefits, how they're so nice to the homeless and it's better there. And all the homeless people start migrating. The point is, when you offer up all these benefits, we're going to give you this, that, and this. We're going to give you these benefits. We're going to give you food stamps. We're going to give you shelter. You attract homeless people. It's kind of a, uh, it's, it's kind of sad, really. The intention is great, but the result is devastating for, for the people who live there. You want to help the homeless population, but it seems like your proposed solution had the opposite effect. It didn't stop anyone from being homeless. It just attracted the homeless people to come to your city. I think LA, you know, weather is a big factor. If you're homeless, why would you? I'm, I'm surprised there are homeless people in Chicago. I got to admit, Chicago's weather is nightmarish. The summer is like 90 degrees and maximum humidity and the winter gets like minus 27 wind chill. So those are some brave homeless people. But I can understand California, but, but the, uh, apparently weather isn't a factor. I've gone over the numbers, not a factor. So I hate to say it, but I think the solutions they offer up Look, putting toilets out is not going to solve the problem. A lot of these people don't care. They're going to poop wherever they want, no matter what. You add these toilets and people are going to hear, oh, wow, they're setting up benefits for us for free and they're going to go. So what do you do when you off? Look, I I believe there there are ways to solve these problems through government programs and social programs. But I also believe that when you can see a fault and an error, stop, stop now. Okay, perhaps you need law enforcement on this to stop people defecating in your streets. Man, you know what? You know what's going to happen? The people who make these cities profitable or valuable, you're going to leave. Why would you want to? Why would you run a business in a town where there's crap all over the streets? Why would anyone come out to go to your cafe when there's crap in front of your store? So people are going to leave. And you know what? I'm not going to say this is the reason, but big cities are losing people. People are leaving. I think this may have more to do with the internet economy, the attention economy, and you know, digital infrastructure. I'm now able, you know, I'm looking at setting up an office for Subverse and, and expanding all of this. It's going to be great. We're going to be hiring people. It's going to be nuts. And I'm not interested in anywhere near these big cities. I'm trying to get as far away as possible. Internet infrastructure is fantastic. Airports aren't too far away, and I don't need to be in these places where there's poop all over the streets. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, you know, New York has had rat problems, they've had poop problems, but it doesn't seem to be this bad. Something on the West Coast, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you, SF, weird town. It's like a very lefty town, but also very elitist. Portland, however, 
is like Twitter in real life. That, that, that's how I've explained it before. Like people in Portland are extremely politically active. Not all of them, but way more than you'd expect. Let's read a little bit more. They say in 2015, Portland declared a state of emergency in hopes of securing additional federal and state funding to respond to its homeless crisis. Yet over the past two years, Multnomah County, where Portland is located, has recorded a nearly 40% increase in the number of chronically homeless people. In a profile of the problem last month, Fox News found that conditions have gotten so bad that it's hardening even the most liberal of bleeding hearts. I put blinders on a lot, said a local bagel shop employee, identified only as Shannon, like tunnel vision. I choose not to acknowledge it. How do you keep a city alive? How do you keep business you know, coming? If people don't need to be in your city and there's poop everywhere, why would they be in your city? And what do you do when they leave and the economy starts taking a hit because of this? They say Portlanders are not alone. While federal statistics show homelessness trending downward nationwide, a number of American cities have struggled with vagrancy and the attendant, uh, attendant toll of human waste. Bloomberg Businessweek reported in November that at least 10 West Coast cities from LA to Seattle have in recent years declared states of emergency because of out-of-control homelessness. The, listen, man, the weather in Seattle can be cold and rainy. I don't think weather is a factor. You can go to East Coast areas that have pretty you know, decent weather. I can't, I, I, the only thing I can put my finger on is these West Coast cities tend to have very liberal and progressive policy. Let me tell you a story, man. About, what was I? I Maybe like 20 years old. So it's like 13 years ago. I moved to Seattle. I was there very briefly for, for several months. And as soon as I got there, I was broke. I literally had a handful of change, all I had. And I was told by some local, uh, I don't know how to describe it, low income individuals, but not homeless, that I should go to uh, health and human services and get benefits. And I, I was like, no way, man. Like, that's not for me. I'm not you know, poor, whatever. And their reasoning was very simple that the benefits are set up for people who move to the town who want to get a start and need assistance. It's not the assumption that you're helpless or poor. It's that you're going to the city and saying like, hey, I'm going to set up here. I'm going to find a job. And so I was like, oh, hey, that's a, that's a, that's a good job. Uh, that, that's a good idea. So I went, you know, I was 20 years old, broke. I went to uh, D, it's like DHSH or something, health. Uh, I, I don't know what it stands for. And I told them like, I'm broke. I really don't think this is for me, but you know, I'm looking for a job. And, the, and they like just tried shoveling benefits in my lap. They gave me bus passes. They offered me, to, they offered to pay for college. I kid you not. I don't know if they could or what the deal was, but they said, you know, community college can be covered through the city. And I was like, that's fine. No, I, I'm not interested. They ended up giving me a, a food card just like that. I got a job almost immediately. I went and started working for, a, for a, a local Pete's Cafe in Seattle. I was only there for a few months. But to me, I was kind of surprised at how easy it was to get benefits. Because for me, I, I, there's this thing, I guess, between, you know, me and my friends growing up, I don't know what it is, but we all like profoundly rejected the idea of benefits, food stamps, unemployment, whatever, whatever the welfare might be, because we always assumed it was for someone else who was poor. I certainly respect these programs. And one of the reasons I believe in them is that I have used them in the past legitimately, and it has seriously helped me. I've been homeless before. So when I've been able to receive benefits, it saved me from sleep, you know, from being starving in the gutter. However, I also recognize You've got, you've got an exploitation problem, and it also attracts the wrong kind of people. I get the idea. There's, I, don't know how you, I don't know how you solve for this. I really don't. If you've got someone who lives in your community, and they lose their job, and something bad happens, their house burns down, who knows what, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do to come together and say, we're going to take care of you, man. We're going to make sure you don't get left behind because this wasn't your fault. That's how a community is supposed to respond. 
But then all of a sudden you get these other people who are like on the other side of that door hearing that conversation going like this, with their, ear, you know, their, their ear, and they're like, ooh. Then they come in and say, well, well I'm, I'm homeless. Give me a hand. And we go, oh, okay, okay, we'll give you a hand. Then all of a sudden, just like South Park says, they all start coming in to try and exploit the system. I don't know what the solution is. Don't ask me. I think these programs need to be corrected for corruption. It, it, it may be true that the corruption is, is very limited, but I have to wonder why in more conservative cities we don't see this and why it's impacting the West Coast so much. I really don't know. It might have nothing to do with politics. It might just be uh, the general, general westward direct. Maybe, maybe it's magnetism. People are just directed towards the West. I'm making a joke, okay? I don't know why this is happening. All I can say is you take a look at all of these West Coast cities that tend to be very left-leaning, like the whole West Coast, and then I have to wonder why they have out-of-control homelessness and feces all over their streets. It's a health hazard. You know, we're hearing about leprosy. There, there's fears that leprosy could, there could be an outbreak. Now, the AP has tried to downplay that, but there's, it doesn't matter. It's the rats and the feces. There's a fear of bubonic plague. There's, there's a ty- there, there is a typhus outbreak in LA. I don't know if there is right now, but there was. They say, why Portland police can't stop people from pooping in the street? With the possible exception of San Francisco, no city embodies the conservative caricature of progressive administration more than Portland, where officials tolerate semi, semi-regular clashes between Antifa and right-wing activists. When it comes to public defecation, the Oregon Court of Appeals decided in State v. Corsilius that a 2017 state law against littering does not cover public urination. Alex Hamalian, a criminal defense attorney who works in the Portland area, told Pluralist that the Multnomah County Prosecutor's Office may be wary of applying the law to cases of public defecation for fear of costly legal challenges based on the court's ruling. Similar calculations may also prevent enforcement of two Portland ordinances that directly prohibit urination and defecation in public, Hamalian said. He doubted, though, that the ruling actually applies to the municipal code, which specifically addresses urination and defecation. Anyway, Hamalian said, the Oregon Legislative Assembly could easily pass a law to empower police to bust public defecators. But in his estimation, lawmakers are too busy fighting over pie-in-sky legislation, so they kind of let it hang. Others have blamed Portland's liberal politics. Last July, Mayor Wheeler announced an investigation of the Portland Police Bureau based on activists' claims that officers were systematically harassing homeless people. Oh, no! (laughs) The probe by the police watchdog agency ultimately proved inconclusive. You want to stop the pooping and you get accused of harassment. You know what, man? These people, they've lost it. As a result, our city has become a cesspool. Pluralists reached out to the Multnomah County Prosecutor's Office, the Portland Mayor's Office, and the Portland Police Association for comment, but did not hear back by the time of publication. Hamalian, a registered Democrat, said that politics aside, the police union was right about the state of the city. The amount of public urination and defecation has risen to just a sickening and unhealthy level. You see it it's, it's just every day. I find it odd for somebody of my politics to be saying this. There needs to be something done either through the criminal justice system or through the social services program. I have an infant and it's horrifying to me that I could let my infant walk down the street in Portland and they might step in pee or feces. You reap what you sow. You vote for this. That's what you get. There it is. You know what, man? If they're even citing progressives who think it's progressive policy, well, Maybe it's time you change something. It doesn't mean you go all the way to the right on every issue. It means maybe you sit down and listen because your ideas didn't work. The problem's getting worse. And also, just to end, 
I don't like it when they use these stock photos because I don't want the people to think this guy's pooping in the street. I don't know, whatever. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. I feel like the Democrats have no choice but to act like they're doing well. Otherwise, everyone would just get more and more depressed. They'd be more demoralized than they already are. The reality is there's no strong contenders, and they're not fundraising. I mean, they are, but it's nothing compared to Trump and the Republicans. From the Daily Wire, RNC reports another record-breaking fundraising month. DNC struggles to catch up. If there's anything, in my opinion, that shows real support, it's someone taking cold, hard cash and delivering it to someone else because they believe in it that much. There are a lot of people who watch my videos who like them. They don't care too much. There are a lot of people who really like my videos and they donate so that I can continue to do this work. And that is greatly appreciated. But I got to say, putting your money where your mouth is to help support an effort says a hundred times more than doing nothing. Now, and I, I want to stress, there's a lot of people who can't donate. I'm sure there are a lot of Democrats who would if they could, but they can't afford to. I don't want to diminish those who truly support the effort, but can't afford to donate. I'm just saying, looking at the raw numbers, it looks like the Democrats are dwindling. Name, like, what, come on, none of their candidates have any charisma at all. And when you see this, just just kind of proves it. So here's what I'm going to say. Let's read this story. I got another story here. Check this out. 2020 Vision Wednesday, Trump raised $15 million in California in one day. That should worry Democrats. California, of all places, Trump, $15 million. It's mind-blowing. Let's read this story. Before we do, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work, as I mentioned, but don't feel obligated to. Again, I want to stress, I'm not saying that those who can't afford to give aren't supportive of causes. I'm just saying, if you take you know, a bunch of people putting together and people who can do, it says, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to prattle too much on that. Just share the video if you like what I do, but let's read about Trump. They say the RNC raked in more than $23 million during the month of August, nearly tripling what the Democratic National Committee raised, according to FEC filings. $23.5 million last month, that's the RNC hall, bringing the party's total fundraising hall to $141.4 million for the election cycle. Comparatively, the DNC raised $7.9 million, totaling $59.5 million to date, nearly triple. The Republicans have raised nearly triple. Quote, thanks to the boycotts from Hollywood, liberals and the Castro brothers doxing private citizens who support President Trump, the RNC's fundraising hit record levels in August, said RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. The more Democrats demonize President Trump and his supporters, the more boots we can put on the ground to reelect him. Between the president's accomplishments and our grassroots infrastructure, Republicans are going to be unstoppable in 2020. Listen, the other day, a CNN video went viral. Kid you not, CNN. It showed a Democratic stronghold in Minnesota, a district that almost exclusively voted Democrat, union guys saying they would vote for Donald Trump. And now if that's not, you know, you know what, man, if this isn't evidence, if that's not evidence, I don't know what to tell you. But the Democrats aren't speaking to the workers. They're not trying to win these people back. They're saying, get out to them. To me, that's insane. That's, that's insanity. For the third month in a row, the RNC's fundraising hall surpassed its previous record for the most raised during a non-election year. <laughs> Trump is doing something and people are getting angry. In addition, the RNC posted the biggest off-cycle August in history for either national party committees. Accordingly, the RNC currently has 6.5 times more cash on hand than its Democratic counterpart. Not only is the RNC raising more money, they're spending less. You, look, look, looking at the records, okay? 
the most money raised during a non-election year. I don't see how Trump can lose this one. I really don't. The momentum is on our side heading into President Trump's re-election year. Steve Guest, the RNC's rapid response director, told The Daily Wire. And while we are focused on building out the necessary infrastructure to win in November 2020, it's clear that the DNC will be nothing more than a millstone around the neck of their eventual nominee. Whoa! Brazen. Guess also pointed out the DNC's high burn rate. According to FEC filings, the party spent more than $750,000 above what they brought in during the month of August and further increased its debt by $1.7 million since July. What are we doing with our massive fundraising advantage? We're building the largest field program and most expensive data operation in party history, Guest explained. He also noted the RNC is continuing to invest in our unparalleled data-driven ground game to help re-elect President Trump and Republicans up and down the ballot. The Trump campaign, in partnership with the RNC, is actively engaged in expanding the 2020 electoral map. The two organizations have signaled confidence in winning a state like New Mexico, where Trump lost by eight points in 2016. I will be shocked if Trump takes Minnesota and New Mexico. However, not that shocked. I got to say, man, if CNN is willing to report Democrats are losing Minnesota, I mean, it's CNN. You know what I mean? I'm kind of just, I would be shocked now if Trump didn't win. I I, I mean that. You know, we've got all the polls. They claim Trump is going to lose going against every Democrat. I'm just not seeing it, man. Money is legit. That's real support right there. I'll say the same thing about Tulsi Gabbard. When they kept her out of the debates, my opinion is, listen, I don't care what the polls say. People are giving her money, man. She has, what, like 180,000 unique donors. That says something. But you know what? If the Democrats want to keep out those that are truly energizing a base, well, then you lose. You lose, man, because you need Tulsi's supporters. You need them. But the Democrats can't unify. You know, I'm not going to vote for one of these far-left identitarian types. Never going to happen. So they, so, they, so they lose me. End of story. Let's jump, let's jump over to the next story. So let's talk about Trump raising money in California, because you know what, man? We can talk about Trump flipping New Mexico, Minnesota, but check this out. Trump raised $15 million in California in one day. Hold, hold on. <laughs> hold on just a second. I thought for the entire month of, of August, wait, hold on. Last month, the DNC raised $7.9 million. Donald Trump himself in one day from California brought in just around double. Double what the DNC brought in for the entire month of August from Yahoo News, which I will admit I'm not a big fan of, especially after the recent fake news spat, but let's read. When President Trump touched down in California Tuesday, local Democrats seemed to greet his arrival largely as a platform for protest, with at least 100 demonstrators lining the road near his first event as enormous baby Trump and Trump chicken balloons hover overhead. But the real reason Democrats should be paying attention to Trump's current California swing isn't because it's a prime opportunity to register their displeasure with policies on immigration, emissions, and force management. Instead, Democrats' cause for concern should be the mountains of money Trump is raising here, and more importantly, the right-wing energy that money represents. California has long been an ATM for politicians of both parties. But even so, Trump's haul this week is expected to be eye-popping. At Tuesday's secretive Patrol of Valley luncheon, where ticket prices ranged from $1,000 to $100,000, and attendees were whisked to an undisclosed luncheon by shuttle, Trump raked in $3 million dollars 
Later that night at a Beverly Hills soiree hosted by billionaire developer and longtime Trump supporter Jeffrey Palmer, the president added another $4 million to his tally. On Wednesday, he expected to bring the trip's grand total to $15 million with a Los Angeles breakfast and San Diego luncheon. That's $15 million in a single state in less than 24 hours. By comparison, Kamala Harris raised $11.8 million nationwide during the entire second quarter of 2019. Let me stress, the DNC raised just about half for the, for the entire month of August, half of what Trump raised in a single state in California of all states. I'm going to have to say the Democrats just are completely fractured and non-existent. I don't, you know, what? the, the more I see this, the more I believe literally everyone secretly supports the president. I'm going to say it. Now, I get it. Kamala Harris raised money. But how is it that for the entire second quarter, for the entire country, she couldn't even get close to what Trump could raise in a single day? Something's happening. The Democrat, the, the, the Democratic Party's on fire and they won't address it. Perhaps they need to start sounding a bit more like Trump on policy and stay away from sounding like Trump on cultural issues. And what I mean by that is, or culturally, not, you know, character wise, we got a Democrat, okay? If we got a Democrat who sounded a bit more like Trump, but challenged him on his behavior, they'd win. Hands down, 100%, they'd win. That's why I like Tulsi Gabbard, because she's, she's played the more moderate position on democratic policies as it pertains to abortion and identity politics. Take someone have them say, you know, very similar things to Trump and, and get rid of the potty mouth. And I think they'd win. They won't, though. The Democrats can't win because the far left has taken over. We're done. We're done. Let's read a little bit more. Though he ran an unconventional and underfunded campaign in 2016, big money has become the new normal for, tr- normal for Trump. Back in June, the president's reelection campaign and two joint fundraising committees raised nearly $25 million in a single day. What? And wait, hold on. The president's reelection. Wow. An all time record and more than any 2020 Democrat other than Buttigieg. Also, Buttigieg raised money, has raised in an entire quarter. Then Trump in a single day. Come on. Wow. Then Trump and his various committees announced that they had amassed one hundred and eight million dollars in the second quarter of 2019, surpassing even Barack Obama's haul from the equivalent period of his 2012 reelection campaign. Overall, Team Trump has raised $204 million to date for 2020, which is more than every Democrat combined. Anybody who's acting like Trump is going to lose, you're nuts. Take that money. Take the money out of your pocket. Go to Vegas and bet on Trump losing right now. Do it. You won't do it. You won't. Because everybody knows it. Michael Moore even says it. Bill Maher is saying it. We know it. Trump's going to win. He's going to win because the Democrats are nuts. Because the Democrats are nuts. And we know that too. It, this is shocking. I didn't, even, I didn't even realize Trump was shattering records of this magnitude. The usual fear about bi- uh, such sums of cash, the usual fear about such sums of, huge sums of cash, which could eventually total as much as $2 billion. What if the wildest GOP predictions are to be believed is that Trump and his allies could spend it on data organization and advertising while Democrats are busy, busy tearing, tearing each other apart, leaving the party's eventual nominee at a financial disadvantage next fall. No, 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 no. The Democrats are at a financial disadvantage, disadvantage, period. No matter what ends up happening, no matter who tears who apart, no matter if they all come together and pool their money, they still have less than Trump. Perhaps, 
but fundraising isn't everything. They say, remember, Hillary Clinton outspent Trump two to one in 2016. She still lost. That year, Trump benefited from an estimated $5 billion in free earned media coverage. And cable news isn't likely to stop covering his transgressions anytime soon. No, that's good news. The, the, the press about Trump during the 2016 election was not good news. It was negative news. And he won. And it's still negative. And they won't shut up about him. This is going to be, you know what, man? This right here. I hate making hard predictions. Landslide. One of the biggest landslides we might see in a really long time. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I do not like making predictions. But come on. How are you going to tell me that Trump had earned media, media coverage? $5 billion worth. It was negative for the most part, almost entirely negative. He won. Now you're saying not only does he have the same advantages, but he's outracing all Democrats combined? Dude, I don't see him losing. Trump was underfunded in 2016. He still won. They're acting like, well, Hillary Clinton outspent him and she lost. Yeah, that's just it. If you think Trump, if, if when you listen, Trump won underfunded. What do you think he's going to do when he is overfunded? It's, 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 he's got it in the bag, man. What doesn't stop mattering, however, is energy and enthusiasm. And that's what should worry Democrats about Trump's trip to California. In 2018, dispirited Trump voters stayed home. Their man wasn't on the ballot. That's unlikely to happen again in 2020. Sure, the president may be hobnobbing this week with, with wealthy California conservatives, but their readiness to shell out 100 or 1,000 to 100,000 mirrors what's happening on the lower rungs of the Republican fundraising ladder. And that reflects real grassroots energy. Trump is dominating. This is, this is crazy. In other words, Trump may still be broadly unpopular next November, and Democrats may still be fired up, but they shouldn't fool themselves into thinking their Republican counterparts won't, just, uh, won't be just as eager to get out and vote. I'm going to say this one last thing. Rasmussen has Trump at 52% right now. They say Rasmussen is wrong because they were wrong in 2018, but Rasmussen got the popular vote right in 2016. Based in my personal opinion, could be wrong. Trump might lose. I'm not, you know, don't, don't, don't think you, you're going to, you're going to outright win. I think it's, I think he will. But if you think, you know, to Trump supporters, if you get cocky, you're out, you'll lose. You'll lose in two seconds. I think this, I think the deck is still stacked against Trump and we'll see what happens. But here's the thing. As they stated, Trump's voters didn't come out in 2018 because Trump wasn't on the ballot. I think Rasmussen accurately tracked the American electorate, not compensating for the fact that Trump voters weren't going to vote. So I think all of these other polls are looking at the old school, the old, the, like bef- the, the pre-Trump era, and they got it right. The, the pre-Trump era shows Trump losing because it doesn't account for Trump's base. Rasmussen does account for Trump's base and overestimated when it came to 2018, they were wrong. Or, or I should say, yeah, they, they, they planned on Trump's base coming out and they didn't. Take all this data, put it together. And what do you get? If I, if, if I was a betting man, I'd go to Vegas and bet it all on Trump. I, 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 I wonder what the odds will be. Now, actually, when you look at the betting odds, Trump is favored to win heavily. Well, there's your data. There, this, it, I, don't, I don't even know what to say to Democrats at this point. I don't, I don't, I don't see how you can keep playing this game of woke outrage, blaming the president, insulting him, calling him all the names in the book, when this is ho- like what's happening. The support behind this man is insane. Let me just stress, he's raised more money than every Democrat combined. He's personally raised more money in a single day than the entirety of the DNC raised in a month. That's nuts. He's outraised Kamala Harris in one state more than she could raise from the entire country in the second quarter. Man, 
That's a Trump victory if I, yeah, whatever. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash Timcast. At 4 p.m. it is a different channel. I will see you there. If you're going to have a hearing trying to determine how much of a problem white supremacy or white nationalism is to the black community, who would you ask? Would it be a white academic female who has read a lot? Or would it be, I don't know, say like an actual black person, like Candace Owens, for instance? Black conservative activist Candace Owens tells congressional hearing white supremacy and white nationalism are not a problem and says the left's war on masculinity is a far bigger issue. Far be it from me to tell Candace Owens what a bigger, what the bigger problem is in her own community, in her own experience, having grown up and lived as a black person. This is the craziest thing to me. Groups of people are not monoliths for the most part. I can't look at her and say that her opinion is going to be identical to every single black person anywhere. But I'm curious as to why at least they would have a congressional hearing asking a bunch of white people about this. Now, look, it's funny. We often hear about these panels where they'll be like, why weren't there any women on this panel? And it's like, okay, hold on. If your panel is about, I don't know, say like petroleum engineers and you have five guys and they're all talking about it, I don't care what the gender is. Sure, you could ask, why aren't there women? I think that's a fine question. But usually the answer is, they're all petroleum engineers. Now, if they put an accountant on the table and kicked out a woman, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Like, bring the petroleum engineer up on stage. I don't care about the accountant. In this instance, we're talking about a question of whether or not white nationalism and white supremacy are issues in the black community. And they're going to take the word of a white progressive over someone like Candace Owens. I would much prefer to actually see a debate between Candace and someone else in the black community who might push back. So you actually have a conversation about it. Here's the biggest issue. I defer to Candace. I defer to literally anyone else in the community. L- literally, just like some dude living in a house. Because I don't know. I can tell you, though, as most of you are aware, that I am part Korean. The reason I highlight this in this specific context, I know you guys love rag on me for bringing it up, but I bring it up because look at the world we live in. Look at how they play this game. They tell me, I have to listen. They say, Tim, you have to listen to minorities. They say, oh, actually, mixed race people are the smallest minority in the country and are completely different based on which races were mixed. And they say, not you, you're passing. Other mixed people might not be passing, so their, their opinions might matter more than yours. That's what they say to me. I'm told my opinion doesn't matter when I push back and say the individual is more important. They then say, but Tim, listen, I understand. I hear where you're coming from, but please listen. And I say, okay, how about Candace Owens or Kanye West? No, not them. What they're really saying and what I see from events like this, they're really saying is to bend the knee to the woke white progressives. Isn't it funny? Isn't it weird and paradoxical that the far left is overwhelmingly wealthy wealthier, and white, telling everyone else how to live. Let's read this story so I don't prattle on any, uh, a, a bit more. Look, l- l- let, me, let me say one more thing moving forward. For one, instead of doing the normal longer plug, just share this video if you like it. Here, Look, I am not a big fan of Candace Owens. I don't dislike Candace Owens. I'm saying I'm not a big fan of her. I, I think she's got some, you know, she's made some uh, app statements and she's got some, you know, some, some, there, she said things before that I disagreed with, like burning the flag should be, you know, a punishment or something. You should be penalized for doing it. Disagree. She said some things, you know, things about, you know, free speech issues that I may agree with, though I question the flag burning thing. But for the most part, I don't know. I'm just kind of tepid, like, yep, that's Candace Owens. I'm not a big fan. I don't dislike her. She's just a person. 
I'm, I'm normally not one to come out in defense of most of what she says, but this is a particular issue that's very, it, 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 this is an issue, it's, this is an issue in which it is very easy to see the problem that you have a black woman trying to explain that to her growing up in this country, white nationalism is not a problem. And they actually argue with her. She's like, she said something, if, here, here, I'll read it. She says, uh, based on a hierarchy of what's impacting minority Americans, if I had to make a list of 100 things, white nationalism would not make the list. Look, when I was younger, my family dealt with some, you know, white supremacy nonsense, but it w- wasn't even in the top 100. It was a thing that happened and we were like, oh, you know, and we got over it and we were more concerned about how we were going to pay the bills. You know, my family went through a lot of hardships and our, 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 on a list of our top concerns was not whether or not the white supremacists wanted to come back and vandalize our property. It happened. End of story. These things happen. Crime happens. Let's read. Black conservative activist Candace Owens told Congress that white nationalism and white supremacy are not a problem for minorities, minorities in America. Owens was invited to testify in front of the House Oversight Joint Subcommittee on Friday to discuss combating white supremacy. I love how they get a bunch of white people in to talk about combating white supremacy. Don't you see the irony? These people are incorrigible. She said, if we're going to have to have a hearing on white supremacy, we are assuming that the biggest victims of that are minority Americans. And presumably this hearing would be to stop that and to preserve the lives of minority Americans. She then goes on to say, if she was going to make a list, it wouldn't even be in the top 100. Owens then proceeds to list issues she believes are more immediately pressing including black-on-black crime, abortion, illegal immigration, and the Democrats' attack on masculinity. There was a post on Reddit, and it said, critics often talk about how people don't care about black-on-black crime. And the reality is, there was apparently recently a huge march, may have been Chicago, I'm not sure, where the black community came out to protest black-on-black violence. They do. They absolutely do call this out. And I think it's important to point out, when you see a Black Lives Matter activist talking about issues of police brutality, People will often throw in their face, yeah, but what about the Chicago? They protest it all the time. I've interviewed them. I'm from Chicago. The problem is the media. The problem is the media. They want to pit us all against each other. They want outrage for clicks, and they won't tell you simple truths. Trust me, in Chicago, we've interviewed these activists. They absolutely understand the problem of crime in their communities and are actively trying to oppose it. And these are a lot of activists I would probably agree with on a lot of political issues outside of, you know, dealing with crime in Chicago. It is often used as a deflection. So Candace Owens is one of those people talking about it. And she will point out that Democrats come every four years saying all of these things to try and get the vote. This is something I agree with her on, being from Chicago. They're absolutely activist organizations and really good people fighting and pointing that out. And so I want to stress too, a bit of a lefty position. Whenever you see someone say, oh, they don't care about black on black crime. Yeah, the media doesn't. These fake activists don't. The communities do. And don't forget it. They're, like Google the big march. I don't have it pulled up, but it was, it was on Reddit. And they said the media won't cover it. That's the issue. I think it's fair to point out that whatever, the, whatever is politically expedient for these Democrats, they'll highlight. But it's not. They don't, the media doesn't want to highlight this issue of, of people in the community actually challenging. There's, there was a thing called um, in Chicago, like ceasefire. People have been trying really, really hard to deal with issues like this. So, you know, Candace obviously understands that. Look, I I can just say this. I defer to Candace Owens, regardless of her politics. She knows better than any of these people what's affecting her and her community. She says, we don't we don't see hearings on those bigger issues. 
the inner inner city communities, which is a huge issue, black on black crime, the breakdown of the family, I think is the number one thing contributing to that. And that's why Kanye West comes out for Trump, because they're actually people who experience this and understand the problem. We never hear anyone talking about what happens when you remove a father from the home. In fact, I would argue that right now we have a social environment that is hostile towards men. Later during the hearing, Owen summarized her position on the matter by saying white supremacy and white nationalism is not a problem that is harming black America. I would, I would, I would agree and disagree, right? Here, here's my position. It is in many capacities. There are poli- there, there is police uh, racism. We've uncovered it. But these, these instances are criminal. They're the anomaly. They're the exception, not the rule, right? I think it's important to point out racism is a serious problem in this country. Is it a top 100 problem? Don't ask me. Ask Candace Owens, right? I understand the argument of Tim being passing. And I can tell you, for me, racism was never a particularly big issue until the left made it one. And now it's becoming a problem. But the point I'm trying to make is you can recognize that white supremacy and white nationalism are a growing threat and a serious threat we should be paying attention to, while also recognizing there's very few of these people. And maybe we should be worried about, I don't know, the environment (laughs) and jobs more so. To me, I, I, I agree to a certain extent with, with Candace when she says it's a red herring. It's, it's, it's you know, designed to get votes and things like that. But I want to show you this. Jordan Ol, sorry, I can't pronounce it. I, I, I can't pronounce names. You just, just, well, let's just accept it. He said the House is having a hearing on white supremacy and the Republicans invited Candace Owens, who used her time to say it isn't actually an issue, that it wouldn't even rank in her top 100 issues and that the real issue is black on black crime and a lack of masculinity in men. Full stop. No, Jordan. Either he doesn't understand or he's a liar. She said it wasn't a top 100 issue for her. If she was going to make a list of, of problems affecting minority Americans, this wouldn't be in the top. He didn't include that. Perhaps the problem is actually Twitter and the, and the ability to not get all that context in. And he was trying to, you know, save space. But in the end, I'm fairly certain I could be wrong, but I think Jordan's a white dude. OK, I could be wrong. If, if, if I'm wrong, Jordan, if you're not white, forgive me. But I'm so, so I won't be too direct in pointing this at Jordan. But I will say part of the problem is it's white people claiming they're not racist, telling minorities what to do, and then claiming the minorities are racist. And it's like, dude, don't you understand the problem of you complaining about white supremacy and then refusing to listen to what Candace Owens is telling you about her own experience? This is what's frustrating to me. And I guess I'll wrap this up after this point because I don't want to, you know, drag into it. I have experiences with racism in my family. They refuse to let me speak and then tell me I'm the bigot. And it's the most mind numbing insanity. It's like, oh, he, hey, guys, I hear you talking about how racism impacts minorities. Well, as somebody who is mixed race and, and, and dealt with this, I want to say, I don't think it's as big of a deal as you're making it out to be. I think we need to focus on other issues and unite the country. And we need to respect the individual. And at that point, they say, what do you know? You're white. And there it is. So I don't know, you know, that, that's, that's, there's a reason why Candace is popular. This is a fact. Candace represents contrarian proof. Like it's, it's like she is a black conservative pushing back on things she sees as a problem. And it is a political shield. I'm not saying it's intentional. And I'm not saying that she's a grifter or anything like that. I'm saying there is a reason why there are a lot of people who, who become prominent when you see a woman speaking out, about, speaking out against feminism, when you see a black woman speaking out against the Democrats, it shows that there's principled opposition. Of course, the left only looks skin deep. I don't, mean, I don't mean all the left. I mean these particular individuals that are attacking Candace will say she's, she's being used by the Republicans, you know, all that stuff. No, 
I believe Candace actually has these opinions. I believe she lives it. I believe she was sitting down in a hearing with Democrats and these experts who aren't black telling her how she should feel and what she should be threatened by. And that's probably really offensive to her. You know what? I can't speak for her. I can just tell you it's really, really annoying to me when I have people say we should respect diversity. And when I say, can I speak? They say no, because they don't actually believe it. They're liars. So I, I, I do find it funny. Look, you don't have to agree with her politics. But how could you claim that white people need to like step back and listen, and then they go after Candace Owens and Kanye West? You know what, man? I don't think Candace and Kanye are right on everything, but I want to listen to what they have to say. Same as everyone else. Same as uh, uh, Daryl Davis. Same as, uh, you know, uh, uh, DeRay from uh, the Black Lives Matter guy from, from Ferguson. I'm absolutely willing to hear out everybody of any political persuasion. I disagree with the authoritarians, the lies and the duplicity. And that's what you're getting from this. So you know what, man? Candace Owens is not infallible. She's wrong a lot, but at least listen to what she has to say. And, and I, it's, it's just, you know, there's a reason why I want to talk about this. And I know it's, this is a little bit longer than I like to do for these segments. I can't, I can't say that I understand how Candace feels for the most part, but I do certainly feel a similar issue like what she's going through, sitting in there with a bunch of these progressive white people telling her how she should feel. And I'm like, I know exactly what that's like. Okay. I get it. I pass for the most part. But what ends up happening is, you know, most people, depending on what season it is, if it's summer and I'm like, I turn brown in the sun, then everyone just assumes I'm Mexican or something. And depending on the race, my experience is that minorities tend to think I'm white. White people tend to think I'm a minority. That's the experience. So I don't, I don't get to play any of these games. And that's why I hate all of it. I don't get to be on one side or the other. I'm just always on the wrong side, no matter what. And that's why I think the individual should be protected. The individual is paramount. I get it. I understand how collectives work. I understand what civil rights and social justice are, are fighting for. And I agree with a lot of it. But this, this is not it. A couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I'll see you shortly. We got a couple stories dealing with YouTube. And the first story I want to go through, the most important is the deranking of right-wing channels following a smear by someone pretending to do research. Surprise, surprise. This is a story from Mark Ledwich, who has done a ton of research into recommendations and algorithms. And he's one of the few people I think has actually done a pretty good job. First of all, you had data in society smearing everybody, including me. The story didn't even have data, and it listed people as YouTubers who don't even have YouTube channels. It was fake. It was an opinion piece. We then saw recently another story claiming that they found a, a pipeline of comments from in, intellectual dark web to, uh, to alt-light to alt-right. The only problem is they called Sargon both intellectual dark web and alt-light, and they claimed Ford Fisher, an, a journalist, with no, with, he doesn't produce the political opinion commentary, anything like that, it's just straight news. They said he was alt-light. And the goal, in my opinion, was to make a fake chart of what was alt-light because it's subjective, and then draw the comments in a line. Basically, they took the comments that were random, and then lined them up by arbitrarily assigning a, a, um, a qualifier to a channel. Fake. Long story short, all this research I've seen has been mostly fake. I then look at Mark Ledwich's, and it seems to be mostly legit. He shows the data. He breaks it down. He explains it why. He explains why it, you know it is. So I think that's uh, an important character, uh, an important factor. Now, I will say, Mark is just one researcher. Don't act like this is the holy grail and the truth either. I just tend to lean more towards this because the data I've, I've checked out and the things I've researched are backed up by Mark and he even cites other publications. Let's do this, though. We'll come to the story. I just want to um, briefly mention whichever story I have here. I think it's uh, here we go. 
YouTube is backtracking. For those that aren't familiar, YouTube was going to be removing verification from, from people. I'll tell you something interesting. And this is very important in the context of Mark's story. First, right-wing channels in the alternative influence network that were targeted by Data and Society are losers. We'll, we'll get into what that means. Mean, that, like their recommendations are, are down. This is bad news. I, however, a centrist channel, a winner. I wonder what that means. It's very, very interesting. But what I will say is, YouTube announced they were going to be removing verification from uh, channels. I, however, was certified. This is the email I got. It says, we're writing to let you know about, we're updating the look and eligibility criteria for channel verification. In the coming weeks, you'll see a new gray background on your channel name that indicates it's a verified channel. With this change, all verified channels, yada, yada, yada. That's the email I got. And I said, whatever. And I ignored it. A ton of other people got a different email saying they were getting their badge removed. This led to a backlash. And then YouTube walked it back saying, we're, we're so sorry we were doing this. I think YouTube is trying to get rid of internet fame. They, want to get, they, want to, they don't want to take responsibility for making people famous and putting them in like the mainstream. By removing verification, they could effectively say this person isn't famous. I believe this was an endorsement. That's my opinion. And I believe YouTube was literally endorsing me. I think this has to do with the fact that I worked for Vice and ABC News, Univision, I have a Wikipedia page, all that stuff. I think YouTube looks at me and considers me a credible mainstream personality that is, you know, has, has accolades outside of YouTube. A lot of the people who got their badge removed or the notice are just YouTubers. I can't, it's just my, it's just my opinion. I, I can't, t- I don't know for sure. All I can say though is in the end, they are, they're walking this back. They are not going to be getting rid of the, the, the badge. They are changing the criteria, but everybody with a badge will keep it. So you're grandfathered in. New people, good luck. I think this is an effort to do away with, with non-mainstream influence. You're right. They want to be able to discredit people. But if YouTube gives you a verification, they're saying, you know, you're, you're legit, essentially. I, I know YouTube likes my channel. And I think it's just because I don't swear. I don't use slurs. I actually defend real, you know, social justice issues, not the authoritarian wingnut stuff. So they look at my channel as being like, well, he's critical of the left but he doesn't swear or slur and, you know, so they find me acceptable. I believe that's problematic. And it ultimately brings me back to the story from Mark, the winners and losers of YouTube's conspiracy crackdown. I'm not going to read through everything, but I want to highlight a few things. For one, check this out. He cites a Pew Pew survey found 18% of U.S. adults consume news through YouTube. And according to YouTube chief product officer, Neil Mohan, 70% of the watch time is from YouTube suggested videos. You know what that means? It means if you're not being suggested, you're likely not being watched at all. More importantly, when they try and claim YouTube is a pipeline, they're lying. Look at this. This is from Pew, not from Mark. So 66% of those polled use Facebook and 45% get news from Facebook. 58% use YouTube, but only 18% get their news from YouTube. When they claim YouTube is radicalizing people, they're lying to obfuscate things. The reality is Facebook and Twitter radicalize people. Look at Twitter's only used by 15% of people and 11% use it to get news. I don't know what you're doing on Twitter if you're not getting news from there because even following, I guess for jokes, maybe, whatever. The point is, most people on YouTube, not there for news, not, but Facebook, yes. Why won't they talk about Facebook radicalization? They're deflecting because they use it. But let's, let's, let's go down. Take a look at the loser. First loser is the deep state conspiracy channels. He says, according to my research, if YouTube's intention was to limit the exposure of conspiracy channels and promote more authoritative news sources, they have succeeded. 
I have some really interesting news. We can see there's a lot of channels like, you know, Lisa Haven's deranked. Mark Dice is, is apparently deranked. Next News Network was deranked. I could see this coming a mile away, especially for Mark Dice, right? I, I'm pretty sure I told this. I, I saw Mark Dice at an event. I may, may, I said this to somebody. I can't remember who. They're going to come for him. He's a big channel. He's very influential. And he is not like he, he, he's he's a snarky guy who goes on the street and he talks about issues that they're, they're going to get him deranked, right? So he, 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 to me, I think Mark is probably one of the first targets. But, but you can look and see Next News Network, one of the biggest hit. Check this out. Uh, conspiracy channel recommendations to Fox. Fox is being propped up. And what Mark notes in this is that Fox promotes a lot of the same stories. But uh, let's do this. Here's the, the no change, the left, center, right. He says, it turns out that my worst fears were unfounded. The portion of recommendations across the left-right political divide is very stable. I know most people reading this will think the following paragraph shows left-wing bias. But if you take into account the views of destination videos, there isn't much in it. Basically, most of YouTube is left. <laughs> but check this out. So he says, when you uh, total, total uh, percentage of total impressions per views of suggested video, right? So this is because there's just more left-wing content. Winner. Corporate media. There it is. You know, I've said it all the time in uh, these videos. They derank independent political commentary and prop up corporate channels. There's your data. TV and cable have skyrocketed as of the end of April. Yep. If you like this video and you think it's important, please share it. But let's, 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 let's get on to the more important issue here. Loser. The right of the Alternative Influence Network. When CNET reported that channels in the Alternative Influence Network, which included channels like Joe Rogan, Sam Harris, Tim Pool, and Destiny, had their recommendations drop from 7.8 to 0.4%, I was worried that YouTube had overreacted and punished alternative channels to make a valuable con- punished alternative channels that make a valuable contribution to public debate. Nicholas Souser, the author of this new data, and Rebecca Lewis, the author of AIN, celebrated this achievement and also mischaracterized many of the listed YouTubers as alt-right. And it was actually completely fake. This is awesome. Get this. But from my own research, I have concluded that something is completely wrong with Suzer's analysis, which suggested that Joe Rogan was receiving 7.5% of all YouTube recommendations. All of them. No way is that true. PewDiePie gets way more views on Pew News than Joe Rogan gets on his average podcast. Rogan gets like a million plus, but Pew News gets several million. The new algorithm has reduced recommendations to the, to the AIN, but YouTube has distinguished between centrists like Joe Rogan and white supremacists like Stefan Molyneux. I think that might be pushing it with Stefan Molyneux, but he did make a recently offensive tweet and everyone started saying his mask came off. So I think I, you know, I, I don't know. Look, I don't know enough about Stefan Molyneux other than he posted a meme that showed a bunch of stars of David on a bunch of CNN reporters that was factually incorrect. Okay. Let me just, I'll give you an example. Brian Stelter is Methodist. (laughs) Can't believe they tried. I don't know. I don't know much about Molyneux though. So the right-wing element of the AIN has dropped from seven to 3%, but the rest stayed the same. Check this out. Center, fairly similar. And the right is down. The graph below shows individual channels and ranks the biggest winners and losers in terms of the change in their impressions as a percentage of all channel impressions. This list has been filtered to channels exclusively focused on news, politics, or culture war topics. I have good news. Uh, change in impressions. Tim Pool, my main channel, 
from the margin. It's up. I've gone up a small percentage. That's great. Right, right in between CNBC, Hoover Institution and CNBC television, just below uh, Joe Rogan. That's great. You can see Fox News was the biggest winner. But I think the reason for that is that many, it was the right channels that got deranked. Whoa, surprisingly, ABC News and Joe Rogan clips took a huge derank. Check this out. There's the Rubin report deranked. He's a centrist. He's not on the right. Steven Crowder deranked. Even the BBC was deranked. Timcast, this channel deranked. How dare you, YouTube? They like my main channel. They don't like my second channel. That's not fair. Uh, Sargon got deranked. We can see that. And there's the Young Turks. The Young Turks even got deranked. So they're saying it's the right. Come on. Even the Young Turks got deranked by this. I wonder if he's got uh, David Pakman. There he is. Look at that. David Pakman got deranked more than this channel. These are all the derankings you see right here. Wow, that's crazy. The Young Turks got deranked. Listen, man, if I can show you the Young Turks getting deranked, you know it's bad. They are propping up corporate media. This is the big takeaway, okay? They, I'll put a link to this in the video so you can read it in detail. But they are propping up corporate media. For whatever reason, they like me personally on my main channel. Hey, I'm not complaining. Look at this. That's a big upranking for my main channel. I'm going to have to, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But I will say, Fox 10 Phoenix, good job. Fox News taking the cake. Probably needs more data here. Joe Rogan's main channel is upranked a lot. My main channel is upranked a lot. So please, I ask you, why is this channel deranked? It's the same stuff. I don't know. You know, you know, I'll admit though, I purposefully try to keep my main channel focused on bigger picture politics and I do smaller cultural stuff on this channel. So things that are much more offensive, I try to avoid putting on my main channel um, to, to, on purpose, right? This channel was originally a backup channel. So I try to make sure anything that might be too dangerous in, in terms of conversation goes here and you can see exactly what happens. It gets deranked. But Tim Pool, that's me, my main channel. Awesome. Anyway, I'll wrap it up there. The takeaway from this is that I think YouTube is trying to go full corporate. They don't want internet famous people. They don't want to be credited with making people famous because of the controversy. So that's why they probably were going to take away verification badges. And we can see it in the data. They are propping up corporate channels. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you shortly. And there it is. The Area 51 raid. 75 people apparently showed up to Area 51. Several were arrested, I believe. There were five arrests. I don't know how many were arrested for trespassing. But of the 2 million people who signed up on Facebook, only 1,500 showed up in Nevada. And just 75 make it to the gates of mysterious Air Force Base. It's just an Air Force Base, dude. Chill out. And guess what? I'm not there. I did not go. And I'll tell you why. Of course nothing was going to happen. What did you think was going to happen? Now, now hold on there, Daily Mail, saying two million conspiracy theorists. It was a meme. I'm going to make a political point on an apolitical story, but bear with me and then we'll read about what happened at Area 51. This is proof the internet is a hollow. Nothing. Two million people can be like, yes, Area 51, and then 75 people show up. So let me just do the math real quick. Yeah, it's a rounding error. If you get a handful of angry phone calls saying someone's going to show up to your business, guess what? They aren't. Nobody even showed up 
for what was supposed to be this big and amazing event. Instead, I think like a porn star showed up. And, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to those who, who went. They, had, they probably had a great time. So, so good on them. Congratulations. But just do the math real quick. Out of 2 million people saying they were going, everyone's getting all worried. Oh, no, all these people are like, nobody did it. Nobody's going to go all the way to Nevada. Okay, some people did. 1,500 people showed up in Nevada and they partied. Only 75 actually went to Area 51. Let's read the story from the Daily Mail. Why? You know, sometimes a little levity is important, right? So, and I think people are interested to see what happened. The Daily Mail reports, social media users are ridiculing the pathetic turnout at the Storm Area 51 event in rural Nevada after it only managed to attract a relatively small crowd. Just 75 people turned up outside the highly classified military base on Friday morning, according to reports, despite more than 2 million people claiming they would attend the event on Facebook. Another 1,500 people are estimated to have made it to the nearby town of Rachel and Hiko, although officials were bracing for up to 50,000 alien enthusiasts to descend upon the area. Now, I got to say, I'm a bit let down. I at least thought people would show up and party. Not even that. I got, you know what? I didn't go, right? You didn't go. So there it is. Nobody really cared. Pictures from outside the back gate of Area 51, the military facility, long thought to harbor government secrets about extraterrestrial activity, show police texting and looking bored as small crowds of inoffensive alien hunters mingled around. They're not alien hunters, dude. Most of them are probably just like, I think that's Luke Rudkowski right there of We Are Change. I know Luke. I know he's there. I think that's him in this picture. A good amount are probably just journalists. Seriously. This happens so often. Journalists end up being the biggest group of people there. They say, the lack of collective storming of the Air Force base amused Twitter users who dubbed the event pathetic and roasted the small crowd by sharing hilarious memes. Late night comedian Jimmy Kimmel got in on the act sharing a photoshopped image that showed him standing at the front gates wearing a tinfoil hat and brandishing a pizza. That's not funny at all, Jimmy. I don't know. I don't, I, that's not funny. You know what's funny? This one's funny. How everyone expected the Area 51 raid to take place. I don't know what this image is, but there's like dude raising some kind of axe. There's like mech warriors shooting and explosions. What actually happened? And it's King of the Hill. I like this one though. Expectation versus reality. And the expectation is the Avengers rushing forward in Endgame. And then there's just a small handful of people standing around. So I, I don't know what uh, <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel's joke is supposed to be. You, you brought pizza? I, I don't get it. Whatever. Whatever, Jimmy. When you're the only person that actually took it serious and went to Area 51. And aw, it's Will Smith at the end of The Fresh Prince in the empty house. Where is everyone? We brought pizza, Kim, Kimmel wisecracked. Now, I gotta say, for those with kids, you're about to see the butt of a porn star. So just keep that in mind because it's in the article and something I can do about it. So whatever. Uh, they say, meanwhile, another Twitter user labeled the event a, uh, a bid disappointment, sharing a meme which showed two juxtaposing images. Uh, expectation for rea- versus reality, we get it. What actually happened, That uh, they then deadpanned above to uh, a still of four King of the Hill characters standing above drink- uh, around drinking beer. Meanwhile, we get it. We see the memes. Another meme showed Will Smith. Well, so, so what we have here is, I believe this may be Riley Reed. She's a porn star. And I don't know if that's true. I just know Luke Rudkowski of We Are Change is down there filming and posting stuff. And he posted a photo saying, yes, that's Riley Reed. And I believe that's her, although I can't see her face. 
and I'm not too familiar with her work outside of the fact that she's a porn star. So I couldn't recognize her from the tattoos or anything. I couldn't tell you. I'm sure most of the people watching probably know and are probably like, yep, or not. I don't know. Uh, they say, so here, the photos are actually really hilarious because uh, the, the, the guards, like there's no, look, man, if there are aliens, these guys probably, this is DPS. Uh, I don't know that. What is DPS? Protective Services, Department of Protective Services. They're just standing around bored and actually laughing. There are photos where they're even taking pictures. Now, now, now let's check this out. What is this? The alt-right? There's, there's clown pepes showing up. Is this, does this mean the alt-right showed up to Area 51? One woman, aged in her 60s, was arrested after trying to trespass onto the Area 51 base. Seriously. Another man was reportedly arrested for public urination nearby. Dude, how brutal is that? To go all the way to Nevada, being in the middle of the desert, go to take a leak, and they arrest you for it? Cut the guy some slack. Come on. However, rather than wrestle with authorities and break into the Air Force base, most of those who turned up texted, twerked, and took photos, meaning that the mood was largely festive, as we all thought it was probably going to be. According to The Guardian, only five people have been arrested during the large-scale event, which will continue over the weekend. Okay, okay. Maybe people might actually show up for this. It's not over yet. Maybe there's something going on today. Maybe tomorrow. I really, really doubt it. I, I am curious as to why, what does it say? It says cops were resigned to posing with alien hunters as they were easily able to maintain the jovial crowd. That's Clown Pepe. I think it's called Clown Pepe. What does this mean? What are they trying to say? And what do, oh my God, this officer is posing with symbols of the alt-right. Boom. White supremacist cop confirmed. Uh, counting down the moment to when this image is cropped and they just claim the cops are supporting, you know, the alt-right or whatever. This dude apparently did what looks like it may be a varial flip. I can't tell. Rather than storm the, uh, that's a skateboarding trick, by the way. Rather than storm the highly classified facility, one tourist took to skateboarding outside the gates. That sounds pretty fun. I'd, I'd like to build a claim. I did a tray flip. Uh, he, I don't know. I, I can't tell what, 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 what trick he's doing, but you can see the cops are both smiling and laughing. Like nothing's happening. Here's a guy that says, peace on earth ain't coming from outer space. Whatever that means. I love, there's a really funny thing. It says no photography in this area on these big signs. And there's tons of photos everywhere. And even the guards themselves are taking photos. How fun. I don't, according to the Guardian, only five people were arrested. Tourists and conspiracy theorists have been mingling at a concert known as Alien Stock in the town of Rachel. The small community of Rachel and neighboring Hika, which have a combined population of 175, have been concerned as to whether they would be able to cope with the expected influx of visitors. However, thus far, it appears things have been easily manageable. Tourists, I don't know why they're calling them conspiracy theorists, but I also want to say it's pretty sad. There's like a DJ playing for like 10 people. I guess that's it. I don't understand what anyone expected was actually going to happen in Area 51. I had people asking me if I was going to go. I had people like demanding, like, you got to go, man. It's going to be huge. Are you going to drive the van? You can drive the van. And I was like, uh, maybe we'll see. Probably not. There's no internet. Why would I go? And sure enough, it's exactly what we thought. Now, I will make it, I will, I will end this with a political point. Okay. Going back to what I said in, in, in the beginning, uh, the two political points I sort of made, look, this video is really silly. Um, you learned nothing. It was probably a big waste of your time. But I do videos like this on purpose every so often to kind of break the chain of this insane cycle of anger. Hopefully you laughed at least a little bit in, in this video and you're, you know, it's silly. 
The other political point is stop taking these web things so seriously. Look, if you wanted to go to Area 51 and have a good time, I, I, I got no beef. Congratulations. I'm sure you had a great time. Uh, Luke is down there. I know Luke. He's probably having a laugh. It's probably good fun and everyone's having a good time. But this idea that people actually thought 50,000 people would show up and storm the gates is insane. The fact that law enforcement took it seriously is actually, well, they should take it seriously. But the fact that they were really concerned people would show up, it's mind numbing. Nobody shows up for these things, dude. I've been covering protests for a long time. And I can tell you, it's usually around like 5%, if that. Now, I will admit, they they thought 50,000 people would show up. Okay, so that makes sense. That's uh, uh, that's a bit, uh, what is it? Le- that's less than 5%. But still, you know, you get the point. They thought they were going to be big numbers. They don't show up. They don't care. And so the, the, the point to wrap this up, stop caring, okay? Stop reacting. Stop giving these people what they want. When someone sends you a dirty email, the world is not mad at you. When you see a series of negative tweets, let me assure you, Those people were saying the same thing about everyone else before the internet. We just couldn't see it out of sight, out of mind. And you know, you know what I've done? I don't check my notifications on Twitter. I don't. You can tweet at me. I'm never going to see it. I don't. I'm not going to read it. It's not happening. And guess what? I have noticed no ill effects. There, there has been no secret campaign. I'm stressed about nothing. You have to realize that 10, 20 years ago before Twitter, whatever, they were still saying these things about you. They were still angry about everything, but no one heard it. Today, the media is capitalizing off of this kind of nonsense to make it seem like something's going to happen because they want the clicks. There was never, in my opinion, going to be anything at Air 51. Hence, I'm sitting in my chair in my house. Okay, I'll wrap it up there. You get the point. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Podcast every day at 6.30 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all next time.